Kyle, take your Bible, if you would. The Old Testament, book of Proverbs, chapter number, number 14. Proverbs, chapter number 14. As soon as you find your place, please join me by standing. I want to know, want our visitors and guests to know, I don't make apologies for the type of message we're going to preach this morning, but... We've been going through a series of messages on Sunday morning, Moments with the Master, and I feel a need both this morning and tonight to talk and address our church on our nation and the condition of our nation. So this morning's message, some of you might say, man, preacher, that wasn't very inspiring or uplifting. I think we as God's people need to be called uh, to understand why our nation is in the situation it's in and what we can do about it. We certainly tonight will pray, get down on our knees and ask God to turn our nation. But I want you to understand this morning why our nation is in the condition it is and how it can be brought back to the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 14, uh, I want us to read one verse together, and that's verse number 34. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 34. Let's read it together. Righteousness exalteth a nation... But sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness that exalteth the nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Oftentimes, as pastor, uh, whether it's Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and and tonight I was going to preach on that, but I will not on that text. A different text we'll choose tonight. Not really preach. Just give you some instructions in prayer tonight. There's many times that even we as pastors kind of spiritualize a text. We'll take a text and we'll make it. It mainly applied to the nation of Israel and God's uh, chosen people. We will apply it to ourselves, to the church or America. And I can tell you this. I can't tell you whether or not. I don't think Christ is dishonored. God is dishonored if we take Second Chronicles 7.14 and, and pray it back to him as a, as a prayer promise. He'll honor it. We might have questions about some of the verses in the Old Testament, New Testament, whether or not they apply to America. I can tell you this morning that the verse we just read applies to America, absolutely applies to America, and it applies to any nation uh, that will either exalt itself in righteousness or fall into sin and become a reproach. I want to talk to you tonight this morning about God's message to America. Father, help us this morning. I love this country. Next week is a difficult time for me. I love our veterans, and yet I've never done what they've done. I don't know what it is to put on the uniform of the United States of America, whether it's Navy or Air Force, Army, Coast Guard, Marines, or whatever branch of service. I don't know what it's like, how honored we are, Father, to have many veterans in our midst. I don't know what it's like to fight and put your life in harm's way. Um, And yet, Father, I love this nation, I promise, as much as any veteran that served this nation. When our national anthem is played, Uh, a chill goes up my spine. I think about this great land that you've so richly blessed. And yet as a pastor, I look at the condition of our country and realize that the blessings of God are off off this great land. I pray you'd help us to understand this morning as as we look in your word, how our nation got in the situation it's in and what we can do about it. And Father, I would pray publicly. I would ask you to begin to move the electorate, even now. And Father, I pray. I know we don't have perfect men that are running for office and people that are running for office. 
but we have some that have promised to protect the liberties and freedoms that we now enjoy. And I pray, Father, that you would help those people to get elected. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from this lesson this morning. Apply the truths to our lives. We'll thank you and we'll praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Bible now back. God's message to America. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The first word in our verse here today in our message is the word righteousness. Uh, I can tell you this, not many of our politicians, local or on a national level, want to or are talking about righteousness. Uh, But we should be. Uh, We should understand what God expects of our nation You won't hear any politicians talking about it. You won't hear any presidents talking about it necessarily. You don't hear the news media talking about righteousness, do you? It doesn't matter to them. There are at least three implications to this word righteous. I want to dissect this verse this morning, and I want us to understand 
uh, our nation and the condition it is, and what is God's message to America today? This word righteous, first of all, implies sovereignty. If there is something called righteousness, then there is a sovereign that gets to determine what is righteous and what is not righteous. And so there's a, a sovereign. If there's a, such a thing as righteous, then someone gets to understand and, and be determined what that is. Humankind has a varied idea of what righteousness is. We could never in a million years be an authority on righteousness. I graduated from a Christian school, went to a, a Christian college. I've been full-time Christian work since then. But I am not an authority on righteousness. And I cannot be the ultimate authority. A church or an organization is not the authority on righteousness. A sovereign God must be. Psalm 71, 19 says, Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high. And who, what hast thou done? Uh, what hast done great things? O God, who is like unto thee? In Psalm 98, verse 2, the Bible says, The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. So we say, righteous, if this righteousness is going to exalt a nation, what is righteousness? There must be a sovereign person that determines what that is. Then we look at this secondly. There must be a standard for righteousness. Can I tell you this this morning? Every one of us have a standard or standards. Can I tell you this? General Motors, Ford Motor Company, uh, IBM, Apple, all corporations have standards. Some higher than others, some lower than others. And you and I here today, we all have standards. But if righteousness is... We must understand that it's a sovereign, but it also implies a standard. This is the main reason that the Word of God has been attacked today because America doesn't like God's standard of righteousness. We've removed it from our schools. We've removed it from our courtrooms. We've removed it from parenting. We've removed the standard that a sovereign God said, I want you to understand my word will give you what is truly righteous. He has set a standard. In Psalm 119, in verse number 40, the Bible says, Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. In Psalm 119, verse 142, the Bible says, Thy righteousness is as an everlasting righteousness as thy law is truth. And the righteousness of the founding of our nation, I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to back it up because of the length of the message this morning, but I can promise you this, that the founders of this great nation based the laws on the eternal word of God and the righteousness of that precious book. We've gotten away from it now. Our Supreme Court has gotten away from it. Our president has gotten away from it. And the House and the Senate, we've moved away from the righteousness of God. What is it? It's a sovereign. It implies a standard. But then it also implies a straightness. It's one thing to admit that there is a standard. It's another thing to make that standard mine. If there is a righteous standard that a holy sovereign God sets down... And that's the standard for life and living. It's one thing to believe that, 
But it's another thing to make it personal. Make it in my life what God wants in my life. So a personal moral standard, a personal moral righteousness. I'm going to say this to you. The Judeo-Christian ethic has been the guiding factor of the founding of this great land. Our president, one of the first things he did when he became president in the first term, he made this statement. He went to a foreign Muslim country and he made this statement. America is not a Christian nation. I'm going to tell you this. We may no longer resemble a Christian nation, but our nation was founded upon the righteous in the eternal word of God. And America at one time enhanced and, and it was given to the Judeo-Christian ethics of our, of our God and our Bible. Our, our forefathers chose the righteousness of the Bible as their guiding post. They really did. And we looked at that some weeks ago in a Sunday night service or Wednesday night service. We brought about what our founding fathers, what, what George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and, and, and Jay Adams and, and even some current president, what they thought about the Word of God. I can promise you this. They believed in the Word of God and the righteousness of the Word of God. But I want to show you the reward of a righteous nation. So the Lord says to us, I want a nation to be righteous, and if you are righteous, I will give you a reward. And I can promise you this, if you look at the history, and I know history is not being taught in a lot of our government institutions now, American history. It's a revisionist history. But if you look at the true history of this great nation, you will see many of the things that I'm about to tell you how God blessed America in our past. Because we were a righteous nation. I ask you this this morning. Who can doubt that God has blessed and put His blessing upon America? Who can doubt that? Some Americans like Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel take credit for such exaltation. The mentality is that we somehow deserve the greatness and the power of our past. And can I tell you this? This is one of the things that, that hurts me as a child of God living in this nation. I love America. And I love the United States of America. And I love the, all the things we stand for. But I also understand that God's blessings are fastly coming off of our nation because we are no longer a righteous nation. But as we look back on our past, we can see that God blessed this nation. America has been exalted because of the citizens' goodness and their personal holiness. If you went back, and I can tell you about this, uh, America has been exalted because of that. And, and we carried out as a church in America, we carried out the Great Commission. Let's examine what this word exalteth means or the reward of a nation. It means this. He's going to exalt means this. This nation, this righteous nation that will live under the oracles of God that he will do this. He will set that nation apart. What does that mean today? One of the meanings of the word exalt is to be lifted up or to be made high. Watch this. This teaches us that God himself exalts nations. He brings some up and he, he, he brings others down. The scriptures say that there are many things that are exalted. I say this to you. It says his word is exalted. The scriptures teach us that the nation, the Jewish people, they are exalted. The scriptures teach us that, that the, whole, the Trinity is an exalted entity in the word of God. God himself is exalted. The scriptures in the nation of Israel. In Psalm 46.10, 
The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 37 verse 34 says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he, ex- he shall exalt thee to inherit, the, uh, to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I'm going to say this to you. Surely there's been no nation on earth that has been exalted as God has put his blessing upon America. How did we make it through? How did that little handful of colonies rise up against the strongest power and nation on the earth, the British Empire, and we were formed as a nation? How did we make it through the Revolutionary War? How did we make it? How did we not fall apart during the Civil War? How did we come apart? How did we as a nation, and I'm going to say this to you, without America, World War II is not fought and won. But because of this great land and because of the blessings of God upon this land at that time, and I could show you the providence of God in World War II. I could show you the providence of God in the Revolutionary War. We look back at this great land of ours and we could see at one time God had exalted the United States of America. Exalted means that. The reward is exalted. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna set us apart. The second thing it means is the exalted nation is a safe nation. I ask you this this morning. Get on a plane. Go to Spain. Go to Europe. Go to Lebanon. Go to Israel. And you're an American. Do you feel safe? There used to be a time just because you were an American... It was hands off. They feared the power of our great land. But now, and, and watch this. This is what, Sol, this is what Solomon's saying here. He said, this nation, this righteous nation will be exalted. It means to be set apart, but it also be, means to be made safe, to exalt, to rise high as an inaccessible fortress out of reach of danger. I remember as a young man going to Bible college, I remember during the times of the 60s, the rebellious 60s, when the Beatles came on the scene and, and all of those things. And I remember that the men began to grow their hair long and we rebelled against everything in this culture. We, uh, policemen became, became known as pigs or cops. Mom and dad became the old man and the old lady. And we were not, qua- we were not taught to obey authority. We were taught to question and defy authority. And so well, what was Woods talk all about? I remember during that time as a young man understanding our nation is turning fast and furious away from God. And then we had something happening. We elected a man and he went to the White House named Jimmy Carter. A nation of Iran had some of our soldier boys for over 400 days. And this great land was powerless to rescue our boys. I remember then there was a failed rescue attempt. I can still picture this in my mind where those helicopters and those, we were going to try a night raid. We were going to try to go rescue our boys. And our our equipment faltered and failed in the Saudi desert. And many of our boys lost their lives. I remember looking at that when I was in Bible college and thinking this, God's blessings is off of this great land. We've rebelled against Him. Now this mighty force, we can't even rescue some of our boys that a a podunk nation like Iran said, we're going to hold them hostage. 
Thank God for a man named Ronald Reagan that said, listen, you elect me and I'll go get our boys. And do you know what the Chauvin, I believe, honestly understood this, understood, I believe that's a man of his word. I'm going to let him go before, before he ever takes office. What about the barrack bombing, barracks bombing in Beirut, Lebanon? How many soldier boys did we lose? What about Somalia, Black Hawk Down? You remember that? Where they drugged the charred bodies of our boys through the streets of Somalia? And thumbed their nose at this great land. And just recently, five of our Navy's finest. Iran again took those nations and say what you want to say. And I'm not here. I'm not chastening our president or whatever. But our president, America, paid a ransom and a hostage to get our Navy young men back. This great land that used to be feared, this great land that was raised on high, this great land that was once safe is no longer safe. Now the terrorists are coming to our shores. And can I say this to you before you pull a lever? Hillary Clinton said, I will increase the the Muslim people. And by the way, 99% of all refugees coming are Muslim. Uh, Do you think that there are any Christian people in these countries? that need a place to come for refuge, we're not letting the Christian people in. 99% of them are Muslims that are coming. And Mrs. Clinton said, I'm going I'm to get it by 650% more. They're bringing the terrorism to the shores of America. This land is no longer safe. An exalted nation should be a safe nation. As we celebrate 240 years this past July the 4th, what a testament to God's protection and His preservation of our great nation. But the exalted nation is also a strong nation. Another meaning of the word exalt is to triumph over our enemies. At mere glance, the history of America will reveal the hand of God's protection through the colonies, through the Revolutionary War, through the First World War and the Second World War, and how God blessed this great land. If you study true American history, you would have to say that God's blessings were upon this nation. In Psalm 144, verse 1, the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. And God did that for our nation. We now come to the depressing part of our message. If America and when America was a righteous nation, when America lifted up the God of the Bible, when America lived by the principles of this word and the families, and we make it more than just, we think about this. Why did America, why are we in the situation that we're in? I believe that our pulpits went silent on sin. And the pulpits went silent, so then the pews went silent. And the pews, here's what it should have happened. God wanted the pulpits of our country to be a flame of fire. When we would come, we would warn against that. Let me say this to you. If you've been a member of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, I've said this for so many times, I believe it to be true. The job of a pastor is twofold, to warn against sin. And then secondly, to put back the lives of those who don't heed the warning. And here's what we do Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, throughout the week and throughout the have we tell our young people we say listen don't go down that road there's a bridge out there it's not going to work we tell our young people come down this aisle chaste and clean and pure you don't want to get involved in the sexual revolution we try to warn say listen don't go down that road 
But somehow I want you to understand this, moms and dads, if your son or my son or your daughter or my daughter go down that road and they go down that road in defilement and sin, I want you to know also that the same pastor that warned them not to do that will be with a tear in his eye say, okay, let's put the pieces of the life back together. Let's get right back on the track. Let's get right on the track where God wants you to be. The pulpits were supposed to cry out against sin. Then the people in the pew were supposed to heed that and carry this, this same notion of a righteous God into the public square. But the pulpits have gone silent, so the pews have gone silent. And now in the public square, there's not even a recognition of righteousness and sin in our nation today. You say, preacher, prove it to me. I don't know baseball like Brother Stephen knows baseball or some of you baseball people. I was excited that the Cubs won. We about ruined it for Brother and Mrs. Bliss. Wednesday. Whoever handed me that little thing. I never got involved with a, with a World Series like I was with, with, I don't know why. I just wanted the Cubs to win. Some of you go back with, how many baseball people in here? I don't know when this is, but I'm just studying for this lesson. Do you remember when the Atlanta Braves were a powerhouse? Remember when they were a powerhouse? They had a pitcher named John Rocker. I think he was a relief pitcher. John Rocker. John Rocker, in, an, in a magazine interview, came out against homosexuality and lesbianism. Amen. Came out against it, and he was called a bigot. And he was lambasted, and they lit in no time at all. The Atlanta Braves got rid of John Rocker. On the same team as John Rocker was, a, I think probably now he's in the Hall of Fame, was one of his players named Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones was engaged to be married. He impregnated a Hooters waitress. And to, be, to save embarrassment, he said, I want you to have the baby aborted. She refused to have the baby aborted and, had, and gave birth to that child. Now watch this. And the same, the same uh, news media that lambasted John Rocker for his bigotry about homosexuality and lesbianism praised Chipper Jones. What is happening in our nation when somebody stands and said, listen, this is a standard that God has brought in our nation and you are lambasted and you are thought to be a big... Now watch this. And that's what's going to happen in this election. You stand for the oracles of God. You stand for the principles of God and the things of God. And I tell you this, you are the problem. We come now to the depressing parts of this promise. As surely as the righteous of exalts a nation... As surely as that happens, sin destroys a nation. Today, many people want a buffet-style Christianity. I want the God of love, and I want the God of mercy. And can I tell you this this morning? We have a God of love, and we have a God of mercy. We have a God that will pardon your sins. We have a God that will forgive your sins. We'll have a God that sent His own Son to die on Calvary's cross, that you and I might have a way for our sins to be forgiven and a home in heaven. We have a loving, merciful God, but we also have a just and a holy God. And that just and that holy God cannot look at the sins of America, some 59 million babies that we have aborted, that same just and holy God. He loves that little unborn baby as much as, as much as he understands that little Samuel back there on that back, or Liz, John and Liz's baby soon to be born. He loves that child that is born as much as he loves the unborn and vice versa. We can't have a God of our own choosing. We can't make our own God. 
The God of the Bible is the same God that exalts. It's also the same God that's going to judge sin. God is going to judge America for sin. My prayer is this. God, would you be merciful to us when men were talking about this in prayer before God, hold this off. God, hold it off in our lifetime. God, help us to reach some others' laws. But we understand this as a preacher of the gospel. The judgment of God most certainly is coming upon this great land. Sin. What is sin then? Sin is undisciplined aim. It means to miss the mark. Harmatea. In Psalm 2 verse 1, Help, Lord, for the ungodly man ceases. For the faithful man from among the children of men. Is that not true? It means to miss the mark. Now let me say something to you. If I could have every happening of my life put up there on the screen from this week, there are some things I wouldn't want you to see. I could promise you this. I don't think that there's much of any that is hidden from pastor in your view. I don't. I am who you think I am. But I can promise you this, every day this week in the Word of God, every day in prayer. But I promise you this, even though I want to aim to live right, sometimes I miss the mark. Is that you? Amen. Sometimes I miss the mark. What is sin? Sin means this. It means to miss the mark. But the problem with is not missing the mark. The problem is our old sinful nature makes excuses why we miss the mark. And what is the mark? The mark isn't Pastor Rogers. The mark isn't anybody in our church. And watch this, can I be as kind as I know how to be? The mark is not a rabbi, a bishop, a pope, a religious leader. That's not the mark. The Lord Jesus Christ is the mark that we should be aiming for. Watch this, I think about that mark of holiness in life. I don't have it. I don't have complete holiness, complete sanctification. But every day I'm trying to hit that mark. I'm trying to hit that mark. Sometimes we fall short. Sin is this. It means an undisciplined aim. It also means an unwise assurance. Another meaning of sin is to stumble, to err from the path. Again, it seems that we have built an, an excuse which we have. There's a reason why I've fallen into sin. It really wasn't my fault. I don't know what this does to me. And I'm not trying to uplift one candidate over the other this morning. I'm preaching to you from a pastor with a burdened heart for his country. But I watched this one major candidate this week. Had a, one of the last big sessions with Jay-Z. Filthy, vulgar, horrible curse words come out of his mouth. And that candidate just sitting there standing. I'm going to say this to you. I wonder what the God of the universe looks down across America. And pretty soon we're going to go in a, in a voting booth and pull a lever for somebody who's spitting in the face of the God that we love. Preacher, you're mad this morning. I'm not mad. I think about this. I want an America much like I knew for little Joshua and little Michael. I want a, a, God, a nation like we knew for little Samuel. I want a, God, a nation like we knew for, for Madeline and, and Nathan. I want a, a nation like we knew. But if God's people don't stand up and begin to say, righteousness is going to exalt a nation, but sin is going to be a reproach to any people. Sin is an unwise assurance. Psalm 59 verse 12 says, For the sin of their mouth and other words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. Number three, sin is an ungrateful action. The final meaning of sin is an outright transgression, rebellion. Daniel chapter 9 verse number 11, I'll speak to you about it tonight, says this, 
Yea, all Israel hath transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey the voice. Therefore the curse is poured out upon us, because we have sinned against him. Tonight, when we get together to pray, I pray, then I'll talk to you about this, how to get ready for prayer. For prayer. But I believe as we come, that we in this gathering tonight should confess the sins of our nation. Amen. We should do that. We should confess the sins that are in our, even in our own life, even in our ministry. God, we want you to, build, to bless this great nation. But the reason you cannot and will not is because we're living in sin. Sin is an ungrateful action. I want to show you the reproach. The reproach of a nation. What does it mean? The first word of the mention reproach in our English Bible is this. It can be found in Genesis chapter 30 verse 23. It speaks this way, speaking of Eve, and she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. What was Eve talking about? You see, through the fall of Adam and Eve, Eve was hoping that she would give birth to the Messiah. And watch it, through the fall of Adam and Eve, she understood this. And then uh, she understood that, that sin had crept in. And now she's saying this, through the birth of this boy, she's saying, you've taken away my reproach. First time it's mentioned in Scripture. What is God talking about? The reproach it will come upon a nation. Sin brings a reproach. I'd say this to you. It burned me when I heard the filthy, vulgar language that Mr. Trump mentioned on a bus. It burned me when I think about this. Think of, you can say it however you want to say it. If Mr. Clinton makes it in the White House, back in the White House, is a man that literally has taken advantage of many women. Well, preacher, he's my, he's my, that's, that's my, that's my political persuasion. Listen to this, Republican, Democrat, Independent, we should stand apart from things if they're not according to the Word of God. I understand that we're not electing a preacher. We're not electing a pastor. But, and there's one that is closest. There's one of our candidates that said, I'm going to uphold the right of the unborn child. There's one candidate that said that. There's another candidate on the last debate that said this. Partial birth abortion up to the ninth month. I will defend it. Say, God, I want you to bless America. Really? Do you? then will we not come apart from this? Again, we examine the different meanings of our text. Israel's sin had caused them to be brought into captivity, and that captivity, uh, the capital city stands in ruins. We say this, what does it mean, a reproach? It means dishonored. Another definition of reproach is to be ridiculed, to rail on, to revile. I don't know what it's like, Brother Levi, to be on a... Navy carrier, submarine. I don't know what it's like, Brother Bliss, you men, Brother Vernon, you Navy folks. What is Russia doing to our Navy? They're buzzing our planes, aren't they? Defying us. See what you're going to do. And you know what? We're powerless to do anything about it. How about Iran today? Are they defying America? What about North Korea today? They defying America? Dishonored. 
What shall be done? The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17 to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel. Who is this God of this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I think about this and I'm not trying to stand up for one political party here this, this morning. What I'm trying to say is from God's people here sitting in, in today and at this time in a very crucial hour in our nation's history, may we understand that God holds us personally responsible for the righteousness or the sin in our nation. Amen. We can't just brush it up and brush it away, and we can't just brush it under the rug. Number three, it means defeated. The final definition of reproach means to pluck or strip away all that is good. Our culture is in the process of doing just that, is it not? Can I tell you this? And all you young people that are here, I know this makes Pastor Rogers an old fuddy dud. I know, and I'm not going to change anytime soon. Amen. There's Amen. something special about a man and a woman marrying each other. Amen. There's something special about a man and a woman. Uh, God blesses their union with children. They're raising their children. There's something special about that. Now watch this. I know our president, current president said he's a child of God. He's a Christian, a born-again Christian. But in this, he applauded and pushed the gay marriage agenda. And you say, preacher, shouldn't everybody have their eyes? I'm going to say this. Here's what they're going to do. You watch this in the years to come. Churches like ours that will not back off on the clear teaching of the Word of God when it comes to marriage, they're going to stifle those churches and shut them down. Our former attorney general said, one of the ways that we can silence the church is take away their tax-exempt status. They're coming for us. Our building and property doesn't look like much, does it? It's appraised at a million two. Do you know what our taxes and what it would be to tax this ministry on a monthly basis and what it would do to us? They do. They will tax the churches that will acquiesce and they'll remove the tax exempt status for those who don't, who do not. Defeated. Our culture's in the process of doing just that. Our defeat has not come at the hands of a foreign invader. It has come at our own hands. Remember with me as we close. What a wonderful battle the city, the city of Jericho was, was it not? How did they defeat that great and magnificent walled city? Boy, they had a great military, didn't they? They got bought in the, the Israeli Air Force and they just came with some with some, with some bunker buster bombs and came over there and just dropped those and those walls fell flat, right? And then they went in with the, with the big old tanks and just mopped up. You know how they did that? They marched around the city. They did exactly what God said to do and then they blew trumpets and they did exactly. They didn't shoot and they didn't do Watch this. And God brought the walls down and I look at our great nation and I think, and not only, I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm getting old, but I'm not as old as you might think that I am. And I think I look at the blessings of God upon this great nation and I see how that he's protected us from our enemy, but I see now that those walls are coming down. After the city of Jericho, there was a little tiny, tiny, tiny city. What was the name of that city? AI. And he told Joshua, hey, listen, uh, let's just send a little band of men. We just mopped up on Jericho. Let's just send a little band of men up there. Surely we'll just, we'll just mop up on them and come back home. And how many people died in that battle? 
And Joshua fell down on his face like many of us will do tonight. Joshua fell down on his face and he rent his clothes and he put ashes upon himself. And what did God tell Joshua? Get up off of your face. Israel has sinned. Joshua, hidden in the tents is some Babylonish garments. Joshua, hidden in the, ter- in the tents is some Babylonish gold and some Babylonian silver. That's why I'm judging Israel You take care of that, and I will exalt this nation again. And Joshua did so. As we close, preacher, what about all of this? Do you understand how incumbent it is upon us as God's people to stand and live for the truth? We're that light. We're that salt that holds back decay. Let's not make excuses for the sins of our children and our grandchildren. Let's not make sin uh, excuses for the sin of our church. Let's not make excuses for the sin of our society. Let's come before our God on our face and say, God, truth of the matter is America's sin and America's turned its back on her. But God, we pray that your mercy would extend to us some more years, that we could reach the lost, that we could raise our families in, in a way that's Christ-honoring. Let's deal with our sin. I say this as we close. Let's pray for our land and resolve to do our best to make America great again. If we achieve anything, it is God that must accomplish it. It's not you and it's not me. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We look at all of the nations of history when they fell into sin. We look at the Medio Persian Empire. We look at Rome. We look at Greece. Many great nations have been brought to naught. Because your word is true, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Would you give us the ability to look in our own life and see where we ourselves have turned away? Father, I pray if you convict our heart that you would bring us down to an old-fashioned altar and we might confess and forsake that sin that you might bless our great land again. God, I pray that you'd work in a wonderful way. This morning during invitation, tonight as we get down on our face and pray, Father, would you forgive us where we've turned against you? Would you give us some years of freedom yet to enjoy is our prayer in Jesus' name.